Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Day. What a day to be alive. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm glad that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday once a year, but I don't know about you. I celebrate it every day of my life. That's how good Jesus is. Amen. Uh, welcome, Fellowship Center, I think. Oh, no, they may still be singing over there. They're excited. Um, welcome, live stream. Glad you guys are here. Uh, welcome to those of you who are back here for the first time post-COVID. We have missed you guys. We're glad you're here Amen. today. What a blessing uh, that these vaccines are allowing folks to get back. We praise God for that. Also, uh, I saw Mia here earlier. Thank you for the prayers for Mia. What a, a round of applause for God. By God's grace, by some great doctors, and by her toughness, she's here less than three weeks after a major surgery. So we praise God for that. Also, I saw my cousin, Tracy, here, who is Sai's daughter. And many of you have seen Tracy, and your, your remarks, like most people do, you say, how is this Sai's daughter? <laughs> she's beautiful, articulate. Not saying you're not, Sai, but people... <laughs> I don't know what he said, but I'm sure it was funny. Uh, my theory is, is that somewhere in Germany, which is where she was born, there's a person that looks like Sai, a little girl. And the Germans are trying to figure out how she fits into their family. So welcome, Teresa. Glad you guys are here today. Well, and look, speaking of fitting in, I, uh, Jeremy pulled the whole suit dress up. And started preaching. I mean, you put a suit on that guy. He's ready Man, to rock he's and ready roll. To rock and roll. I, like uh, I think I heard someone say he looked good enough to bury. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, Shaq, by the way, uh, th- uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, like one year ago, Al, uh, it was just me and you and a camera and Shaq That's right. That's right. in uh, Easter uh, service. And, and a tornado. And a tornado showed up yeah. that day. And so a lot of things have changed in a year, hasn't it? I mean, uh, you think about uh, where we were a year ago. Uh, out on Easter, I mean, do you have any... I, I was trying to think back in my own family about Easter memories. And, and uh, of course, I was raised three boys. And I don't really, really remember much that we did at Easter. Uh, other than when we went to church, everybody dressed nicer that day than normal. Well, you know, uh, they were saying in the live stream, they remembered... Uh, waiting to get their candy in a basket. And I said, well, I guess we were so poor, all the Easter Bunny left us was pellets. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But but I do remember hunting Easter eggs because Mom was big on dyeing the eggs. That was a lot of fun. I don't have, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, spiritual, religious memories around Easter, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, it is. I don't Actually, I don't remember any on that side of it. Uh, but uh, uh, I do remember... Uh, when my own kids were little, uh, us getting together with some family, and we would usually get together with uh, Susan's brother Bruce and, and grill a bunch of uh, burgers and hot eggs. And we put a, if you put a little money in one of them, they, they'll hunt them longer. You mm-hmm. know, if you notice that? And so, uh, of course, it was a little money for me. I didn't invest in that too heavily. Uh, but uh, uh, but we're, we are glad, to, uh, most of all, to celebrate uh, the resurrection. Uh, you know, we normally have a... Uh, uh, scripture readers come up and some of our young people, and we usually like to tell a little something about them. And uh, the, our particular scripture reader today is uh, he loves hunting and he loves fishing and the outdoors. And we are bringing him by remote 
uh, to us right now. That's right. All the way from. All the way from Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. Not so, Mars. Mars Hill. Mars Hill. Mars That's Hill. right. So uh, here's our scripture reader today from Acts chapter 17. Men of Athens, I can see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and I observed your objects of worship, I even found one altar with the inscription to an unknown God. The one you worship is unknown. I will proclaim to you. The God who made the world is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. For he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else from one man. He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. God did this so that men might seek him, reach out for him, and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us. And to continue that reading, for in him... We live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Resurrection Sunday. Obviously, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. The scene that you saw that uh, Dad filmed, that was for his movie, Torchbearer. And I have to tell you, because there were, you know, we had kind of a guerrilla crew, a couple of guys with cameras. But there was cameras, you know, all over the place, people filming it. And so dad gets up and starts doing this whole thing from the text that he had memorized. And nobody else, of course, except for those of us with the crew, knew what he was doing. And so there was these people from all over the world that were there. And they just stopped and they listened. And some of them had tears coming out of their eyes. And we marveled at the fact that so many people never knew that on this spot, the Apostle Paul uttered these words. This was sort of the, if you could bring it forward to today, this was sort of the Harvard Yard of Athens at the day. And here Paul is going to share with these folks about what was happening. To set our scene today in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Paul is here and he's waiting for his team to arrive from Berea. And he's, he's, you know, kind of just bored, to be honest with you. He's looking around the city and he's trying to figure out exactly how he's going to approach once his guys get there how he's going to reach people with the gospel. But when he walks into Athens, Athens impacts him. He uh, looks around, and in verse uh, 17, you'll see that he says that he's greatly distressed. Uh, this is not, uh, it's not about being angry. It's not that kind of distress from this word. That it is about that his spirit was provoked. And as uh, one of the translators said, his soul was exasperated. I mean, he just looked at the situation of this city uh, and was moved 
inside his spirit and inside his soul. And it brought about a desire that, that, that it so distressed him that he knew the need there. And, and, and matter of fact, you know, there are times we need to have distressed eyes. Right. We need to be moved by the marketplace and what's going on. And there's been some of those kind of times out with you and I and some of our experiences. Uh, uh, remember in Haiti how that was? Yeah. We, uh, we were in Haiti after the earthquake, and there was just a sort of like what we've been dealing with here with coronavirus. It was just kind of a, a heaviness on everybody. And, of course, this was a terrible earthquake. The church we went to speak at, uh, about 58 nurses had died there that week as the building, part of the building collapsed on them. And so it was just a heaviness that was there. And then on top of that, we're out and we're meeting people. We're trying to bring some joy and encouragement just by being there. And we come across this voodoo temple place. Mm. And there was a palpable evil. You remember my dark, it's very darkness. Dark. And it just, and you could just feel it. And it was just kind of all over you. And it was, it was dense. And I look back on that and I think that, you know, here are these oppressed people with such difficulty. And then the only thing to turn to for many of them was even more evil. And I think that's exactly what Paul must have been thinking as he walked around this city, that the Bible tells us, or actually history tells us, there were more idols in, in Athens than any place in all of Greece. So he had all these places to look to, but there was nothing of hope. There was no idea. Can you imagine a life without any hope of the resurrection? Do you understand why, now why so many people in our culture and our country are so afraid of a virus? Because they don't understand that we can live beyond the grave, that there's hope. That idols are false, and we have so much more. You know, I remember, I remember after Katrina, we, uh, uh, we went into New Orleans, and we, uh, several of us got in a van, and we drove around to every point of the city all around, and we just got out of the vans, and we just looked out over the city and just prayed. Mm-hmm. You know, what's God going to do through this thing? And, uh, and, and eventually, we planted a church out of that in one That's of right. the toughest neighborhoods around there. But, but I remember the feeling of everybody being together. And while there was, okay, God's going to do something here. At the same time, there was distress as we looked at, one, the physical tragedy, but we also knew the spiritual tragedy that existed there. And it moves you when you see a city like that. It was that. funny. We were leaving the hotel, and a person said, where are you all heading, to Bourbon Street? And we're like, no, we're heading over here. to." And we gave them the neighborhood, and they were like, are you taking an armed guard? That's what they And I said, oh, we're taking much more than that. <laughs> we're taking the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And we marched right in there and we encouraged that neighborhood and we spoke and people came from all over the place to hear what we had to say. Idolatry is just as strong today as it was in this day. Right? We see it. And remember, it started from the beginning. You remember Satan? The big lie was is that you can basically construct your own God. So he told Eve. You want to be more like God? You want to be in control? You want to decide what you're going to worship? I got something for you. Just just disobey God and listen to me. That falseness has been around ever since, right? You see it played out in different ways. We get to Genesis 11. There's a great tower goes up and everybody says, oh, we're going to look what we can do. This is going to be amazing. Human power. Nope. Remember it was a golden calf after that? We're going to take all of our jewels and all of our gold and all of our silver. We're going to melt it down and we're going to have something to worship. Nope. Won't work. Jesus came along and he said, you know, you may worship money. You may worship fame. You may worship anything else. But trust me, it will not last. And it's the same thing to this very day. You know, the prophet of old said, uh, uh, said, to the group of people building idols, you build an idol up, you worship it, 
You formed it. You made it. But then when the enemy comes, you have to pick your own idol up and carry him out when you leave. How much help is that out of a God, you know? But we have a God that that takes care of us and that is sovereign and that rules the universe. And oh, look, there are a lot of idols right here in this room, right? In our own hearts and our own minds that we battle. There's gods that we've bowed down to that we've got to uh, got to lead them and make sure we're bowing down to the creator of the universe. And that's always a challenge. But look what Paul did in these next few verses in verse 18 through 21. He reasons with those folks. He first, he picks up where he always goes. He goes to the synagogue and uh, uh, to the Jews as well as some God-fearing Greeks. And he knows they're going to be there gathered up. And he goes there and he teaches them, finds that common ground, and starts sharing with them about Jesus. But not only there, he goes to the marketplace to anybody who would listen. And I love the fact he's always ready with that answer. But his approach is probably a little different than what ours is. But but he faced some pretty good enemies there in the two groups that mainly kind of ran that thing. Well, that's the thing about it. Once you go into the marketplace, which we've been talking about that here at White Road for many years, don't stay contained to this structure at 3201 North 7. The gospel of Christ needs to be in the marketplace, which means everywhere we work, we go to school, everywhere we live. We're only here a little bit of time. Today's a great rallying day. I was so inspired and excited to be here with you. But look, the rest of the week is where we're going to make an impact. And then God's going to open up doors of opportunity. That's what happens here. So you've got the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they're there, and they're in the marketplace, and they hear him, and they're very different. The Epicureans, they're all about pleasure and emotion and enjoy this life and stay away from pain. The Stoics were very rigid, very self-controlled, the mind, not the body. One was known for rampant immorality, the other one for suicide. And isn't that where it ends up when you have no stable place to go? To pour yourself into. That's why they needed God. So they look at it and say, who is this babbler? He's, he's instituting foreign gods. Like we don't have enough gods around here. Now you've got to bring in some more. But out of that came an opportunity. Someone in that group said, you know what? We've got a little group of people. It's called the Oropagus. We meet up on Mars Hill. You know, right there in the shadow of the Acropolis. And, you know, why don't you come up and share with us a little more about this, because some of us, have, you, you've intrigued us. And so Paul sees an opportunity to take a step forward to reveal what Jesus Christ has sent him to do. When you look at what Paul did, it's really interesting uh, uh, because he, he was moved, he saw, he was moved, he was distressed. He comes out with his message, and that creates an opportunity to preach even more. So when he preaches there in verse uh, 22 through 31 and starts in, Before you look at what he did, I want you to think about what he didn't do. What he didn't do was gather up all the godly people and figure out, okay, we're going to go through this town and we're going to push over all these idols. He didn't do that. He didn't gather up an armed group of people and say, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's all make our signs. We're going to run a big protest down here and change the marketplace with our protest. That's not what he did either. Now, his message is the same message... He takes everywhere. But his approach was not to make them the enemy. By the way, they're not the enemy. People outside Christ are not the enemy. They're people who need Jesus. The enemy's the devil, right? He's the evil one. And so uh, uh, we love, we say right here, we love everybody. So to approach people with some kind of 
approach that creates hatred or bitterness or division is not going to win very many people to Jesus. Uh, So Paul comes in and he says this. I've looked around and I see you guys are a religious group of folk. I am too. You've got all these gods. There's one to an unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And then that's where he takes off. And God really is unknown to those who don't know him, right? Uh, I remember, I, I've told you this before, but maybe new to some of you. I remember in 2016, we, we got invited to CPAC, and Dad was receiving an award there. And so we got to speak. And remember, this is early in the year for a presidential campaign, so there's a lot of guys in suits, and everybody's got their speeches, and they're polished, and it's all political. And all of a sudden, here walks out Phil Robertson. With what it looks like he's wearing a, a, you know, a burlap bag is what the shirt looked like. And he's got his Bible and he sets it down and here's all these young Republicans with their little bow ties on and they're all sitting there ready for this conservative message. He says, 110 sexually transmitted diseases in America. <laughs> that was his open. I looked over at Willie, Willie looked at me, the old oh boy. <laughs> So he railed and he preached and he talked about Jesus and he shared the gospel. And finally, the, the music started playing and they lowered the lights and he was still going. He didn't know he was supposed to leave because Jeb Bush was waiting in the wings. But I think about it in his mind. And, this, and the people were just sitting there with their mouths open. They never said anything like it. But I thought he thought this is his shot, one shot. And by the way, it was a one shot. He'll never get asked back. But it was his one shot to share Jesus in this setting. You know why? Because they didn't know who Jesus was. To the people who don't know God, he is unknown. That's what Paul's telling them here. And look, we know him. So it's up to us to say, oh, this, this guy, this, this you know, place you're at and you don't know what to do. I know. I know what can happen in your life. That's why we share that. That's why Paul shared it. And Paul jumps off and starts talking about, look, let me, this unknown God, he's the creator of the universe. Remember, he's going to tell him he's the creator, he's the sustainer, and he's your savior. That's right. That's going to be his message, which is the message every time, right? That the, that the one who gave life to us, created in his image, is the one that saves us. And so he's unbound by temples and the treasures and all the things that they build. Uh, he, that's, not, that's not where you find him. You're not going to build him up out here. You're not going to find him in stone. He's unbound by all that kind of thing. You cannot confine God to an image or to an altar or, by the way, to a church building right. or to religious activity. That's right. And somehow or another think, hey, God's there. God's there in the tradition. God's there in the, in the pew or God's there. No, God doesn't exist. He's not bound by those kinds of things. He's unbound. He's everywhere. He's the essence of life. He is life. And he gave us life. If the God that I bow down to had to be built, molded, crafted, or melted down, he's not big enough. My God is bigger. In fact, he's so big, he's unmatched because he created life, breath, Time and space. That's what Paul told these guys. Now, trust me, they're intrigued because the Stoics believed that God was in everything. They were pantheistic. Problem was, they just had it into everybody's God. Everything. Whatever you want to bow down to, bow down to. They misunderstood there's only one creator. 
There's only one sustainer of life. So you see phrases like this. From one man, he made every nation of men. So much for this current thing going around that we're going to resegregate everybody. No, 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 no. From one man, all men, every nation are created. Therefore, we can be unified. Oh, we'll never be unified. Oh, yes. If you can look back to the one God who created the one man, who then we all came from, we can be unified. He said he determined time and space for all mankind, places where people are. That's unique to our God. He's a God of geography as well as a God of creation of human beings. And he spread them all over the world and put them where he wanted them to be. And, he, and he, look, he's a God that continues to put us in places where he wants us to be effective as his people. Think about this as a church. Jesus, we're called the body of Christ. So whatever Jesus was doing in his body on earth is what we ought to be doing as his body on earth. That, mean you're, that means you're out running with the, the, the sinners. That means you're out having them in your house and feeding and eating with them. That means you're healing sick people. You're working with folks that, that are broken in life. You're helping the helpless. Whatever Jesus was busy doing as a church, we ought to be busy doing. It's, Christianity is really that simple. We make it a lot more difficult than it is. Uh, our own religious activity gets in the way of, of really being the heart of who God has called us to be. And so Paul preaches this message and he says he's the creator. He's the, he's the, he's the sustainer of life and he's the savior. His message of the resurrection of Jesus is the same message he preached everywhere he went. If you want to do something sometimes interesting, go through the book of Acts and every time you come across the word risen or resurrected, circle it in your Bible and just see what comes out when you read through the book of Acts. You'll find the heart of every gospel message is right there in the preaching and the teaching of the resurrection. So he went on to say, Paul did, he wants humanity to seek him and he's not far away. I can't tell you how many emails I get from people that listen to our podcast and they say, you know, I just, I I, want to find him. Or I want to find my way back. You know, when I was young and I love Jesus and I love the Lord and so much has happened in my life and I've done so many terrible things. I just, I can't find my way back to it. And I think about what Paul said here. He's not far. He's just right there. In fact, he never left. You may have left him. You may have walked away. You may have believed Satan's lies. You may have followed an idol right away. But he's still there. And all it takes is you saying, God, I want you in my life. That's how close he is to you and to me. That's the beauty of it. And then I love the last statement. He said, in him we live and move and have our being. Once we get in this and understand it, he's in everything we do. That's why we can praise and worship to God. We don't have to be together as a body. Romans 12, we give it to him every single moment of our lives. Man, look at Jace riding down the road. He's singing to the high heavens. You know why? Because we worship God with who we are every single moment. That is our spiritual sacrifice to him. He's unknown, he's unbound, and he's unmatched. I think sometimes to us who have been in church for years, it's easy to forget what we were saved out of and what we were saved from. 
And it's easy to, to be just kind of get familiar and even bored sometimes with our, our churches or our religious activity and lose the passion and excitement of what it means to watch one person come to Christ and start all over brand new because of the resurrection of Jesus. Don't ever forget what it was like to have been cleansed from your past sins. Don't ever forget how powerful that is. That's right. So Paul tells them here in verse 30, In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this. Get that? There's proof. Proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So not only is God the creator and the sustainer and the savior, he is the judge. And so the gospel message, while it's good news, it's good news because bad news exists. There is a judgment coming. And to try to somehow or another to preach Jesus without preaching judgment is to take is remove the teeth right out of the message. That there is a judgment, there will be people lost, and God is begging for the souls of men through you and through me with the message of the resurrection. That you can have brand new life. You can start all over again. People need Jesus more than they need the next breath of fresh air. And we can't ever lose the passion that Paul had and that we must have for the lost folks in the marketplace of our own city and our own nation. And it starts with us, right? I mean, we're living knowing that there will be justice, but we do it, and this is the beauty of grace, with hope of the resurrection. See, with God, he offers mercy when we seek him. And so the question is response. How do we respond to that message? Well, look at the response here in verse 32 through 34. Some sneered. I tell you, I mean, that's my definition of sneer. That's a sneer. This guy's insane. Who is this person? Just walk away. I don't believe. A sneer. Gospel message still gets the sneers today, right? You want to load up? We'll take a van up to the Harvard Yard. Start doing a little gospel preaching in the yard. You know what we're going to get? A lot of sneers. A lot of people show up in black outfits. Same here. Some just say, no. I'm going to live the way I'm going to live. I'm going to follow my idols. I'm going to do my thing. Some sneered. Some were intrigued. They didn't really buy it, but they thought, hmm. Dad did Adam Carolla's podcast this last week because he was on our podcast. He's an atheist. So after Dad talks, you know, and they're back and forth, and finally Carolla tells Dad on the podcast, he said, you know, Phil, I really want what you have. I really want what you have. But I just don't think I'm cut out for it. So you know what that sounds like? A person who's intrigued but not really ready to take the step and to tell me more yet. Yet. And then some, of course, believed. They repented. So that's the spectrum that we look at every single day. Some will sneer. Some will be intrigued but not take the step. And others will say, you know what? I think I'm ready to try this. Because I have tried everything else and nothing is working. 
That's why we continue to put the gospel of Christ out every single day of our life. And more than just one day a year, we're talking every day of our lives. That's the beauty of the message of the resurrection. It's hope. I love that word. It's light at the end of the tunnel. It's that no matter what's going on around me, that's one of the greatest things, Al, we talked about this before, going through the, the pandemic and going through even the tornadoes and all those kinds of things, that what really keeps God's people where they need to be is the fact that we, we have hope. Our hope is not in our buildings. It's not in our houses. It's not in our lifestyle. Our hope is not in the wellness of our bodies. Our hope is not in the medical community. And while I appreciate everything they do, mm-hmm. our hope is in an empty tomb. That's right. Because his body came out, mine's coming out too. That's right. And that is something that I can hang on to no matter what my circumstance. Some of you are living in some tough, tough circumstances right now. Your family may be a mess, don't know what to do with the kids, this situation, that situation. It can be a mess. And all all of us have been there. We all are are broken people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, none of us are are sitting around saying we've got life figured out. We all have our brokenness in our journey. But in the middle of that, when Christ is the Lord of your life, you go through that with solid hope. Because you know there's something way beyond this old world. There's something beyond the grave. And that's what we stand on. We stand on the hope of Jesus Christ who came out of the ground. And we want to give you an opportunity today. Maybe if it's to embrace Christ for the very first time. Whether you're watching on live stream. In the fellowship center. Our instrumental service. Whether you're in here. This may be your opportunity because you've never done it. You've been intrigued. Maybe at one time you were one who sneered, but now you're like, you know, this makes sense to have hope beyond this life. And so today's the day to embrace Christ, embrace the gospel story, that he came here, that he died for you, that he was raised out of that tomb, that he went back to the right hand of the Father, that he's coming back. One big, loud command. Mm. Today's the day to repent, just as Paul challenged this group, to change. We got some water back here. It's nice and warm, I hope. Man, we'll, we'll bury that old person. We'll start anew today. Amen. Or maybe it's just that idea of getting started again because you're like, you know, I just felt like he's been far away, but he hasn't. And all it takes is just say, Lord, I want to get this thing going again. And today's the day. Whatever your need may be, why don't you do that while we come and stand and sing?